Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Saturday with Dre. I really hope that your Saturday has started off well. Mine has. It's been a very busy week for me, but I'm glad to see Saturday and to to rest and to relax. Um, Today, we are going to be discussing the topic, moving from condemnation to unconditional love. So this is a very interesting topic, I think. Um, And so I'm looking forward to us diving in and really understanding how we move from condemnation into God's unconditional love. Stick around for your episode of Saturday with Dre. All right. Welcome back. So today, like I said earlier, we are talking about moving from condemnation to God's unconditional love. And we're going to be reading in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Romans, chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, and it reads, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Whew. So if you're like me, when you heard that or the first time you read that, you're like, what in the world is Paul talking about? Well, I'm here to clear that up. There's a lot of things that we need to unpack in these four verses that is essential and pivotal to our life as believers. The first thing that we need to make clear is what the Bible means when it says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So condemnation, when it's used in Romans 8 verse 1, um, it comes from the term katakrima, K-A-T-A-K-R-I-M-A, katakrima. And catacrima is defined as a sentence that is pronounced upon an individual with the intention of punishment that immediately follows. So when it talks about condemnation or catacrima, it is saying the sentence that is pronounced upon an individual that is accompanied with um, punishment. Uh, it, you can also define it as judgment a judgment sentence that usually ends with the person being considered guilty. Now, when we break down the fact that sin makes us guilty before God, sin, our, the sin in our life makes us guilty when we stand before God. But here, Paul is letting us know that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So he's letting us know that the sentence that we should have received 
of being guilty and the punishment that we should have received uh, because of our sin, there we no, are no longer victimized or held to that because we are in Christ Jesus. So when he says that there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, he furthers that by letting us know that we have to not walk after the flesh, but we have to walk according to the spirit. When we are in Christ Jesus, we won't fulfill the, we will not fulfill the lusts and the desires of our flesh um, because we will choose to willingly walk in the spirit. In Christ, we are no longer under the sentence of the law, but we are empowered by the spirit to live for Christ. That's why you have to have the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is what empowers you to live the life that Christ is requiring and calling you to live. Now, the way the Holy Spirit works is not through condemnation. Remember, condemnation is saying you're guilty and you deserve to be punished because you're guilty. The Holy Spirit does not work in condemnation. The Holy Spirit works in conviction. Now, when we talk about conviction, uh, the biblical definition of conviction is to convince with the truth, to convince with the truth. So the Holy Spirit at work in our life does not condemn us. It doesn't cause us to be guilty of punishment. The Holy Spirit gives us the truth and the Holy Spirit can convinces us that the truth is the truth and as such we should follow what the holy spirit is teaching us or revealing to us see to to convict the holy spirit uses conviction um as a way to do more than just tell us that what we've done is wrong but the holy spirit uses truth to, to let us know that our fault is wrong when we compare it to the truth that is revealed through the Holy Spirit, through the word of God, through having a relationship with Christ. So the Holy Spirit does not condemn us. The Holy Spirit will convict us, but it does so in a sense of love because it does not keep the truth from us. The Holy Spirit is a revealer of the truth. The Holy Spirit teaches us the truth of God's word, the truth of who God is. And in, a, and in doing that, we learn the truth about who we are to be in Christ Jesus. So when we do something that we shouldn't do and we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, the Holy Spirit convicts us by giving us the truth and saying, you know what? You should not have done that or you should not have said that. And this is the reason why. And the word and it will remind us of what the word of God has to say about whatever it is that we did in error. And it's because of the truth that we are convinced that what we did was wrong. See, condemnation says you're wrong. And here's the punishment of your actions. Conviction says you're wrong. But let me tell you the truth. And you will see 
from the truth that I give you that what you did was wrong. You will know that what you did was wrong because you will see how it opposes the truth. The Holy Spirit comes to give us the truth. That's why the Bible says, and ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. We are freed through the truth. We are free through the truth. We are free through the truth. I want you to get that in your mind because that's what the enemy comes to attack is the truth of who God is, the truth of God's word and the truth of who we are called to be in Christ. The enemy comes to to oppose and to attack the truth because he understands that the truth is what causes us to see our our errors. The truth is what causes us to see where we are wrong. And the truth is what sustains us in our walk with Christ. So when he says in verse two, Romans eight and two, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So here again, the spirit is referring to the Holy Spirit and the the Holy Spirit energizes our renewed spirit. So when we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior, and we've committed to a personal relationship with him and a personal walk with him, then our spirit is renewed and the Holy Spirit comes to energize our renewed spirit. See, if we don't have a renewed spirit, then We're going to continue to walk in the ways that are not pleasing unto God. We're going to continue to walk in the ways that we should not walk in. But when we have a renewed spirit, then the Holy Spirit comes to energize that renewed spirit. So here we need to break down some things. So when it says the law, the purpose of the law, the law was given to restrain the evil ten, the evil tendencies that come natural to mankind when we are in our fallen state. So after Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against God because they were deceived by Satan when he told them that it was okay for them to eat uh, from the tree that God told them not to eat from. When they did that, that opened up the door to sin and up until that point, sin was not anything that they had to wrestle with. Sin was not anything that they had to struggle against. Sin was not something that they had to fight against. But their rebellion against God caused sin, the, the doorway to sin to be opened up. And so therefore, every person born after Adam and Eve is born in sin and shape and shape and in iniquity. Because of the fallen state of mankind from the beginning with Adam and Eve. And so the law, the law was given to as a way to restrain the evil tendencies that come naturally to those who are walking in sin or who are in their fallen state. But here's the problem. The law was ineffective because it really did not have the power to save anyone from their sins. It had the ability to show them the error, the errors that they had made 
but it didn't have the ability to save them from making those errors and making those mistakes over and over and over again. So in a way, the law provoked those tendencies to greater activity. So let me let me let me explain it to you like this. For those of you that are parents, for those of you that are parents, you know how it is when you tell your kids don't do don't do this or don't do that or don't say this don't look at this don't go there and you have those and and you have those kids that will listen to you and won't do it because just because their parents said don't do it but then you have those kids that are going to push the push your limits and test you and uh, and instead of them being obedient and not doing it um, they're going to do it and see how far they can get before you realize that they're doing what you told them not to do. So, for example, um, one time when I was really young, me and my brother were in the kitchen. My mom was cooking and uh, we were playing around, you know, like got like like brothers do pushing each other around roughhousing or whatever. And I was getting too close to the um, stove. And she was cooking. So she told us, do not play in this kitchen. This is not the area for you to play around in. If you want to play, you can go outside. You can play in your room, but do not play in this kitchen while I'm in here cooking. You're getting too close to this stove. So she left out. Me and my brother, we still in there roughhousing, playing around, pushing each other. My brother ends up pushing me and I end up, my hand ends up on the eye of the stove. So as you can imagine, as soon as my hand hit that hot eye of the stove, I immediately uh, felt that pain shoot through my body from being burned on the stove. And so I started crying. And so my mom ran, ran, ran in there and she's just like, what happened? And so I'm trying to tell her what happened. My brother ends up telling her what happens. And, she's, and the first thing she says was, I told you not to be playing around in here. I told you not to be playing around in here. So, you know, she was going to whip me, but then she was just like, you know, what? I, w- I would, I would whip you because you didn't listen to me. You were being disobedient, but your whipping came from being burned on the, on the stove. Consider that your whipping. So I said that to say this, that's what, that's kind of what the law was did. It wasn't, God did not give the law for it to have that effect, but because of man's fallen state and fallen nature, they took the law as say as something that they could pro- possibly push the limits. They wanted to see how far they could push the limits before they actually received a punishment for being rebellious. And so the law was given to highlight what they should and should not do. It was given as a way to make them conscious of their sins and the things that they are doing that were not pleasing unto God, but it didn't have the ability to stop them from doing those things over and over and over again. So kind of like my, in this in the scenario with my mom, she told us, don't play around in the kitchen while I'm cooking. That was the law. But when she left out of the kitchen, uh, she didn't have she didn't have a way 
to enforce the law and keep us from playing around. So when we continued to play around in the kitchen and I got burned, that was the result of being disobedient to the law that was given. But because it was not really enforced, because she'd walk because she left out of the room. Like had she stayed in the kitchen, we we would have left out of the kitchen and and we would have went outside or would have went to our room and and played around with each other in rough house. But because she left out of the kitchen, uh, we didn't see it was enforced. So we kept doing what we were doing. And that's how it was with God. That's that's why that's why the prophets in the Old Testament kept telling the people, God is near. He is near. He is near because the people had this idea that God was far removed away from them. And so he was not able to um, enforce the law that he had given because he was far removed from them. So they had so they could continue to do whatever they wanted to do for as long as they wanted to do it and push the limits because God was far removed from them. And the prophets kept telling them, no, God is close. To, God is closer to you than you think that he is. And he enforces the things that he says. He watches over his words so that it will not return unto him void. They were reminding the people that you can't push the limits with God. So the law came to highlight what was wrong, but it didn't have the power to stop the people from doing what was what they wanted to do. Um, and so that's why he says, Paul says in Romans 8 and 2, the law of the spirit of life in Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. So the gift of the Holy Spirit is to constrain the believer to a life in which the natural or sinful tendencies of fallen mankind have no place in their lives. And it's to produce tendencies that are in proportion to the truth. So in other words, the Holy Spirit comes to dull our sinful tendencies and to awaken and to and to energize and revive within us tendencies to please God, tendencies to live a life and to do things and think things and to say things that are pleasing unto God. Without the Holy Spirit, without the Holy Spirit, you don't have the power. You don't have the power to live right. Without the Holy Spirit, you don't have it in you to live right. No matter how good you want to be, no matter how many times you want to uh, stop doing what it is that you know you should not do without the Holy Spirit, you don't have that ability within yourself to live right. So that's why it's important that you have the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit will dull. He will he will nullify the uh, the, the sinful tendencies that all of us have. Don't matter how long we've been saved. It don't matter how long we've been quote unquote running for Jesus. It don't matter what title we have. All of us have tendencies about us that are sinful. And without the Holy Spirit at work and in operation in our life, we will tend to do those things because we don't have the power to do anything else. Because outside of the Holy Spirit and outside of God, all we know to do is to sin. 
But with the help of God and with the help of Jesus and the Holy Spirit at work, all three in our lives, we are able to tell ourselves, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to think that. I'm not going to say that because that goes against the truth. Remember, earlier we said that the Holy Spirit comes to convince us that what we are doing is wrong with the truth. And that is how the Holy Spirit uses conviction, not to tell us, not to condemn us, but to convince us with the truth that what we are doing is wrong and that what we're doing needs to change. And here's how to change it. The way that we change it is by receiving the truth of God's word. The way that we change our actions, the way that we change our thoughts, the way that we change that tendency to want to do what our sinful nature desires is by receiving the truth of God. And here's the thing. The truth of God's word is not always going to make you want to run around the building. The truth of God's word is not going to always make you want to shout and to dance. Sometimes the truth of God is going to hurt. Sometimes the truth of God is going to feel like God does not love you. Sometimes the truth of God is going to feel like God has like God is being mean and he's being too hard. But the truth of God is what we need. The Bible says, and ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. The truth shall make you free. The truth shall make you free. If you want to be free from whatever sin is operating in your life or you want to be free from whatever bondage is is operating in your life, you have to get the truth. You have to get the truth. Get it. Get the truth, even when it's hard, even when it makes you weep, even when it makes you cry. See, the thing is, you're weeping and you're crying because you're seeing how your actions have been going against God. And that's the working of the Holy Spirit in convincing you that the truth is what you need to accept. So he says that it's through the law of the spirit that he has been made free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin is the principle by which sin exerts itself in your life, despite your desire to do what's right. And the law of sin and death can be broken down into this. Sin is the cause for the law being given, and death is the effect of a life that continues to live in sin. So the law was given as a response to sin. And those who continue to walk in sin and continue to live in sin, the effect of that is death. And, you know, it may not be a physical death. It could be death of your dreams. It could be death of your peace. It could be death of your joy, death of your strength, death of your prosperity, death of your healing. It could be death and death in different areas of your life. But it also could result in physical death. If you continue in a pattern of sin and you don't ever repent, if you continue in a pattern of sin and you don't ever come into the knowledge of the truth of who God is to accept the truth for what it is, if you continue in a lifestyle of sin and you don't ever come to Jesus and and accept him as your Lord and Savior, then eventually your life is going to end because all of us are all of us are guaranteed a date of death. 
That's 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 something that's guaranteed for all of us. And if you if 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 in your entire life you've been living in sin, then eventually, yes, that sinful life that you've been living led up to your point of death. And at that point, if you don't repent, then yes, your sin did lead you to physical death. But it doesn't have to be that way because God loves us too much to let us blindly go into that kind of lifestyle. He will send he will send messengers, he will send true prophets, he will send words of wisdom, he will send words of warning, but if we are in a lifestyle of sin and we continue to disregard those messages and disregard those warnings and disregard those messengers, eventually it's going to lead us to a point of physical death because our life is going to run out at some point in time. No one lives forever on this side of life. So he says in verse three, what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. That was um, verses three and four. And there's a lot that we need to unpack there. So verse three, he talks about the flaws or what the law could not do. And we've already talked about that earlier. But again, I will say this. The law was given as a highlight to show the people their sin, to show us where we fall short. But the law was not able to save people from from repeatedly committing those same acts of sin over and over and over again. It could show them where they were wrong, but it couldn't stop them from actually doing the wrong things. That's what he's talking about in verse three. And so it it the law worked as a way to pronounce judgment or condemnation on sin, but the law couldn't do anything about the sin problem itself. It didn't have the power to put sin to death in a person's life. And so God accomplished what the law could not do by sending his son Jesus. Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh. So what that means is that Jesus, as God, took on our our human nature. He came in our human nature, in our human flesh. And in the same way that we are tempted, Jesus was tempted. The Bible is clear on that. The same way that we are tempted, as we walk out this walk in in our human nature, Jesus was tempted in those very same ways, but he did not sin. He did not sin and he didn't give in to those sins because he knew his purpose for coming was to fulfill what the law could not fulfill. He knew that if he had sinned, if he had given in to those temptations, then again, people would just continue to be in sin, sin cycles, cycles of rebellion, cycles of dysfunction, cycles of 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 sin that could not be broken. Jesus came to break the cycle of sin. He came and he had to lay down his life because the Bible is clear that the wages of sin is death. 
but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So what that means is that sin inevitably leads to death. Sin always leads to death. Sin always leads to death. That's why the priests had to offer up animal sacrifices as an atonement for the people's sins. They had to offer up the blood of, of the animals as an atonement for the sins. In other words, something had to die to atone for the sins of the people. And it got to a point where God was just like, I don't, I'm not requiring any more animal sacrifices. I don't want any more animal bloodshed as atonement for, as an atonement for sin. I'm going to send myself wrapped up in flesh through my son, Jesus. And he's going to, he's going to lay down his life. He's going to lay down his life and die so that that's, so that that can be paid in full, but he's not only going to die, I'm going to allow him to rise and be resurrected so that death and sin will not feel as though they have won. I'm going to cause him to rise up and he's going to be resurrected with all power. And I'm going to call him back to sit to sit with me at my right hand. But I'm not going to just leave my people without anything to help them to walk out this life that I'm requiring of them. As I'm calling forth my son to come and sit on my right hand side, to be seated at the right hand of, the, of, of me as the father, God says, I will also leave with my people the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's job is to convince us of the truth of who I, the Holy Spirit's job is to convince us of the truth of who God is, what God is able to do, what God's word is, that God's word is the truth, and that we, if we walk according to the spirit, we will be living in the truth of who God has called us to be. See how it all ties in together. So the purpose of Christ coming was so that the law would be fulfilled. As believers, we gain the righteous standard of the law, which is love. That's why we're talking about moving from condemnation into God's unconditional love. And, and, and we don't receive this by any means of the law, but we receive it by being in Christ and by walking according to the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. It's not the law that saves us. It's walking and living according to the workings of the Holy Spirit that saves us. And so my time is about to run out. I'm going to stop right here and pick back up with our next session. All right. So I'm back. Before before the time ran out, um, I was discussing how the Holy Spirit comes to teach us the ways of God to teach us how to walk in the truth so that we won't fulfill the things that our sinful nature desires for us to fulfill. Instead, we will do the things that we know are right. And we're talking about moving from condemnation into God's unconditional love. And so 
We have to understand the depth of God's love for us. His love for us is not like any other love that we will be able to find on this earth. It's not like any other love we will be able to find or experience from any other human. God's love is in a class all by itself. And can't anything touch the love of, of God? It can't. It can't. But the Holy Spirit reveals his love to us. The Holy Spirit reveals God's love to us. In John uh, 16, verse 7, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he tells them, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Remember, we're talking about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit leading us into the truth. It convinces us with the truth. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. The helper here he's referring to is the Holy Spirit. So Jesus said, I have it's 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 for your own good that I go away. He was preparing the disciples for his ascension back to the father. Because up until that point, they had walked with him physically. They had seen him physically. They had heard him speak physically. They had seen the miracles that he had performed physically. And he tells them, it's to your advantage that I leave you, that you no longer see me physically. Because I'm going to send you my helper, the Holy Spirit. And he says, if I, but if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin. Again, the Holy Spirit does not condemn us. The Holy Spirit convicts us with the truth. In other words, the Holy Spirit convinces us that the truth is the truth and that it, since it is the truth, we should live according to it. He says, when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, see the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit cannot tell us lies. The Holy Spirit will not manipulate us. The Holy Spirit will not deceive us. Everything the Holy Spirit shows us, everything the Holy Spirit reveals to us, everything the Holy Spirit teaches us is truth. And so how do we move from condemnation, being guilty, being judged, being punished by from being punished because of our sin because we can't break out of living a life of sin into god's unconditional love we do that through the holy spirit and he teaches us the truth he says in verse 13 john 16 and 13 however this is jesus speaking however when he the spirit of truth has come he will guide you into all truth he will guide us out of that sense of being condemned god all, all i know how to do is sin i don't know what to, i don't know what else to do this is all i've known and god i don't know how to do any better than this all i've known to do is this he moves us out of that state 
into God. I thank you for your unconditional love. God, I thank you that even when I'm unworthy, you love me. I thank you, Father God, that you see fit to use me. I thank you, Lord God, that you see fit to put your hand upon me and to place your anointing on me. And the Holy Spirit's job is to move us from, oh, woe is me. All I know how to do is do wrong into God. I thank you that you can use us, that you can use somebody like me. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. He says he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. The Holy Spirit, that's the job of the Holy Spirit. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. See, the love that Christ has for us is agape love. It's agape love. And when we talk about his agape love, um, his agape love expresses God's deep and constant love and interest in us as his creation. Somebody ought to declare that over your life right now. You ought to take a moment and just say to yourself, self, you can put your name there, or you can just say self, God loves me deeply and constantly. And he's interested in me as his creation. I'm going to say that. DeAndre, God loves you deeply and constantly. And he is interested in you as his creation. Don't that feel good? Don't that feel good? See, God made a deliberate choice. He, he deliberately chose to love us, though we are unworthy. Again, every person born after Adam and Eve was born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Right then and there, we should have been counted as unworthy of God's love. But God made the deliberate choice, even though we are unworthy, to love us deeply and constantly and to always be interested in us as his creation. And the goal of God's agape love is for us to produce and to foster in us a reverence for him. We reverence him because he loves us despite of who we are, despite of our mistakes, despite of our shortcomings. He loves us and it is his love that leads us out of living in a life of sin and rebellion and being an enemy against God into a lifestyle that says, God, you can use me. And I thank you that you do use me. I thank you that your hand is on my life. I thank you that there's purpose for me in this, in, in, in living. I'm not here by mistake. And I don't care how many people have told you that you are here by mistake, that you are here and you don't have a purpose. You do have a purpose. If you woke up this morning and you're still breathing, there's still purpose for you. Can I tell you this? I don't know why God is leading me here, but I'm going to go ahead and go here because maybe somebody needs to hear it. Do not allow the enemy to lie to you and to manipulate you into believing that your life does not serve a purpose. There is a purpose on your life that God wants to be fulfilled. And in order for you to fulfill the purpose that he has on your life, it requires for you to be alive. 
It requires for you to be alive. It requires for you to be alive. His love for us is to produce and to foster in us that kind of reverence for him. And also it's to produce in us a practical love for others. When we understand how deeply and how committed and how consistent God loves us, we can love others because we'll love ourselves. We can love others and we will be able to help others seek the giver or God, the one who gave us this love that we have experienced. We will want to help others experience that same kind of love. That's why we are called to be disciples. We are called to fulfill the Great Commission, to lead others back to the love that we've experienced and that only comes through Christ. So when we say, how are, how are we supposed to move from condemnation into God's unconditional love? We do that by allowing the Holy Spirit to do its job. Allow the Holy Spirit to do its job in our life, in the life of the people that we are witnessing to, in the life of the people that we are called to lead to Christ. We allow the Holy Spirit and the word of God, because it is the truth, to do its job. Listen, as much as I love people and I want to see people walk into their purpose, I want to see people walk into their into the fulfillment of the destiny and the calling of God on their life. I can't make anybody do anything and I can't change anybody. I can't change anybody. I can't make them decide that they are tired of living in sin. I can't make them decide that they want to start living for God. I can't do anything. What I can do is continue to give them the truth. What I can do is continue to love them and continue to show them a better way of doing this thing called life. How? By me living the life that I have been called to live before them. Not so I can be recognized, not so I can receive the recognition, but so that God can be recognized and God can be glorified through my actions. The best way to witness to somebody is through your life, the way that you live, the way that you live, the way that you love, the way that you show support for them, the way that you are there for them when they need someone to be there for them. Why? Because that's what God does for us. And as his ambassadors, we are supposed to be his uh, representatives in the earth. So we have to show that same love. We have to show that same love. I want to go to Romans really quickly. I want to go to Romans 5 and 8. Romans 5 and 8. In Romans 5 and 8, it says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Get that. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he showed his love through that very act. That's why when we go to the book of Jeremiah, we go to the book of Jeremiah and we go to the 31st chapter and we go to the third verse, Jeremiah 31 and 3. It says, thus says the Lord, 
If heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath. I'm sorry, I told you all the wrong scripture. It's not Jeremiah. It is Jeremiah 31 and 3, but I was reading Jeremiah 31 and 36. My God. Jeremiah 31 and 3. It says, the Lord has appeared of old to me saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. We have been drawn with loving kindness, which means loyal love, everlasting love. So that's how we are supposed to draw others to Christ through love, loving kindness, not beating up on people, not telling them that they are going to go to hell, not telling them that God doesn't love them. But with love, loving kindness, we were drawn. And so with loving kindness, we are supposed to draw others. How do we move from condemnation into God's unconditional love? Allow the Holy Spirit to do his job in our life and in the life of those we are called to lead and just continue to be continue to show them love, continue to show them God's love. Because as God shows you his love, you can then reflect that same love to others. Thank you.